Hi there. Again, it's such a privilege, it's such an honor to be here sharing with you this powerful series on divine healing, on divine healing. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you give us such a revelation of the different divine healing methods. May you teach us. You're the one who's the healer. Your name is Jehovah Rapha. May you come and teach us how to heal the sick. We open our hearts to you, Lord, and we say, come and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm really excited about teaching this particular topic uh, today, the divine healing methods. I mean, if you know that there are different ways of healing the sick, and we see this in scripture, and it's so important to stick to what the word says. And so I'm going to get right into it. And I trust that you'll be inspired today as you listen to this. You'll be inspired to step out and use these various methods that the Bible speaks of. And so we're going to get started. The first one I want to talk about is the laying on of hands. And I just want to say this, that this is the standard default approach when it comes to healing the sick. If you look in scripture, you will see that the laying on of hands is one of the foundational doctrines. All right, the elementary doctrines that's spoken of in the book of Hebrews. Okay, and we see that Jesus practiced it and he instructed others on it. And we see that it was practiced in the book of Acts and was also explained in the epistles. And when you've got that type of prevalence in scripture, right, where Jesus did it, Jesus taught on it, where it's explained in the epistles, and also at the same time, it's practiced in the book of Acts by the early church, then you know that this is a Bible doctrine. It can be established as doctrine. You see this in Luke chapter 4, verse 40. It says, at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Laying his hands on each one, he healed them. So we see that the laying on of hands was key to the healing, right? He laid his hands on them and he healed them. Jesus was willing to take his time to heal people individually. Now, there's nothing wrong with healing people en masse. In fact, we'll speak about that in terms of other methods. But it's just interesting to note that Jesus had a personalized approach many times. Now, it's time consuming. And sometimes when we want to heal the sick, we want to do it in the most efficient way. But sometimes efficiency isn't always the key to healing people. I know we live in the generation of instant everything. But I want to encourage you to be willing to take time to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. And I just want to highlight this, that it doesn't always use the word laid his hands on them. Sometimes it just says touched them. All right. And it's, a, it's about physically contacting someone, right? Making that physical contact with a particular individual. So sometimes you'll say Jesus touched her and she was healed. Jesus touched him and, she, and um, he was healed. All right. Um, Mark chapter 16, verses 17 through to 18. And these signs, this is Jesus speaking, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. Now, I want you to see this. It doesn't say these signs will accompany the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and pastors. It says these signs will accompany those who believe. 
So what's the criterion that is used here? It's believing. Are you a believer? Then you can lay hands on the sick and they will recover. I remember when I was growing up, I remember a particular uh, relative of mine being so shocked when she saw me doing the laying on of hands. And she was like, oh, he's doing the laying on of hands in a positive way. She was blown away by it because she came from a church background where only the the so-called ministers would do that. Okay, In my name, they will drive out demons. Yes, we're called to do that. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes uh, with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. This is the promise you can stand on. This is what Jesus saw for you. This is what Jesus saw for me. And we can walk in this. Okay, we're not working against God when we go out and we are healing the sick. So the laying on of hands is a sign of the believer. It's not limited to fivefold ministry. Okay, uh, the other thing I want to highlight is that the laying on of hands is one of the standard default approaches for healing the sick. Okay, so when there isn't that atmosphere for healing, when you don't feel like doing it, you know that the Bible way is you lay hands on the sick and something happens. In Mark 6 verse 5, very powerful scripture here, it says he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. It's talking about when he went to his hometown. And uh, here we learn that uh, because of familiarity and unbelief, perhaps Jesus was limited to the laying on of hands as opposed to the gifts of healings and other divine healing methods that I'll talk about a bit later on. You know, when you heal people because the glory of God is present and so on, sometimes you don't even have to lay hands on people and things just happen. Okay, I'm jumping ahead of myself now. But uh, Jesus was not functioning like that at the time because of their unbelief. So it seems to me that the laying on of hands does not require a specific atmosphere to be created first. It's the standard default, okay? He could have done many more miracles there because of that climate of familiarity, that climate of unbelief, he couldn't, right? Remember that Jesus was ministering as a man under the anointing. You see, sometimes we've got this thing when we read the Gospels, we think, oh yeah, but he did, he did that just because he's God, okay? When he healed the sick, he was able to say, guys, these things that you're seeing me doing, you will do these works and even more. He who believes in me. That was the qualifier again. If you believe in me, these works that you see me doing, you will do them and you will do even more, all right? He was ministering as a man under the anointing. It's important to understand that. And he was hindered in the miraculous because of their unbelief. And I believe that the people he laid his hands on were probably those people who were open to him, those people who were not familiar, right? And uh, in their minds, they were saying, please, I need healing. And he went and he healed them, okay? In Mark 7, verse 32, this is very powerful. It says, there some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hands on on them. This is so powerful. They knew that Jesus used the laying on of hands when he, when he healed people. That was his standard approach. They'd obviously seen him doing this before and they begged him to do so. So from their perspective, they probably saw this as a point of contact for faith. 
all right, that we know when he lays hands on us, we will be healed, okay? And so they were expectant, all right, based on what they'd seen him doing before. So people valued the laying on of hands and they knew the power behind this particular method, okay? It was probably a point of contact uh, for their faith. The fact that they begged him to do this means it was probably a standard approach that Jesus used that they had seen prior to that particular occasion, okay? Uh, and it's interesting because they didn't beg him to sort of spit uh, on, on the sand and make a mixture and put it in the person's eyes. They didn't beg him for that. Now, Jesus had done that before, right, or after, but he had done those kinds of things in his ministry, but... Um, they didn't beg for that. They begged for the laying on of hands because they knew that this is the standard approach. In Acts chapter 28, verses 7 to 8, it says, There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, um, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. It's amazing how uh, Paul and his team were influencing uh, government officials. Then watch this, verse 8. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. So what did Paul do? It says, Paul went in to see him and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. I find this very interesting because it almost separates the ministry of prayer, right? It separates that from the ministry of laying on of hands. It seems like the action of laying on of hands brought about the healing. So Paul's healing ministry was also characterized by the laying on of hands. I want you to see this as standard practice. I believe that the laying on of hands is a powerful point of contact for faith. Okay, so what it does is um, it gives a person a specific time for the healing to take place. That's what we mean, a focal point for your faith. That you know what, when he lays hands on me, I will recover. When he lays hands on me, I will be well, right? I believe the laying on of hands is also a point of transference of anointing. Transference of anointing, okay? Uh, there are times when Jesus would talk about that. Remember the woman with the issue of blood? Jesus was like, who touched me? Because he knew that power had left him, all right? And um, when you begin to understand these things, you start to see that the anointing, the power of God that flows through you is, is somewhat tangible, almost like electricity, all right? I remember when I, when, uh, I was prayed for, by a particular prophet uh, many years ago, about 20 years ago, and uh, she was activating certain gifts in my life, imparting certain gifts. And as she released the power gifts, she said, there it is, uh, gift of faith, uh, working of miracles, gifts of healings. And it was interesting because I literally felt this thing. It was like lead going into my belly. Just the other day when I was praying for people after the service, I remember praying for someone. She began to shake and she told me after she said, I felt like this bolt of, of lightning or of electricity enter into me at that time. All right. So uh, this is not something mystical. This is something almost tangible, right? That takes place when you lay hands on someone. So that's the first one I want to highlight and I want to encourage you to walk in this dimension of ministry. The second one we want to talk about today is operating in spiritual gifts. This is a particular method um, that the Lord really loves and many people have been healed through this. In particular, a lot of healings take place through the combination of the power gifts. And when we talk about the power gifts, we're talking about uh, the gifts of healings. We're talking about working of miracles. We're talking about the gift of faith. And sometimes they combine to produce 
amazing miracles, okay? In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses uh, 7 through to 11, talks about the nine spiritual gifts, what we call the nine spiritual gifts. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. That's a word of wisdom, okay? It's one of the prophetic gifts. Uh, to another, a message of knowledge. We sometimes call that a word of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith, okay? That's the gift of faith. It's not just ordinary faith. It's the gift of faith, God's faith at work in you, okay? By the same Spirit, to another, the gift of healing. Some translations will say the gifts of healings, plural. And I believe that it's, it's worded like that because they're different strains of sicknesses. And you'll see that some people operate strongly in the gifts of healings, specifically when it comes to cancer. Others specifically when it comes to skeletal uh, problems, problems with the skeletal system, back aches and things like that, okay? Uh, by that same spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. And it's important to understand that. You see, I can determine when I'm going to go and lay hands on someone, and then they recover. But here, when we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit, can you see that uh, the Holy Spirit is determining when they are actually used? Yes, there's certain things you can do to stir up those gifts. There's certain things you can do when you make a decision to believe God for those particular gifts. But ultimately, it's the work of the Holy Spirit just as He determines, just as He determines, okay? And what I find interesting about the spiritual gifts that are used uh, when it comes to healing is that some of the prophetic gifts are also instrumental when it comes to healing. For example, the word of knowledge, the word of knowledge, you know, very often you can see something, right? I find sometimes I'll be praying for the sick, uh, praying in a service, and I'll have a word of knowledge about a particular um, ailment someone has got. And what's so powerful is that it ignites faith because when someone hears that, oh, there's someone here with a problem with their right ear and the person has got that situation, there's great faith and expectation for healing. And so through the word of knowledge, there are a lot of specific ailments that are actually dealt with, okay? It's also powerful when you work in a team with others, okay? Because when we prophesy, we prophesy in part. We don't see everything. And it's so powerful when someone else comes up and says, I can see this. Okay, I got a word of knowledge that there's someone here who's just broken a foot. And then we pray for that particular person. We call them up and we pray for them. And that's how you work in teams. John G. Lake speaks about how his, his wife had a stronger gift of discerning of spirits than he had. So they would tag team. And what would happen is she would sometimes be able to pick up that there was something in someone's life that was actually blocking a healing. And she would say, you know, is there unforgiveness in your life? I'm picking up this. I'm picking up that. And then he would then come and then pray for that person after they'd renounced the unforgiveness, after they renounced a particular area of sin, and they would experience healing uh, in that particular way. I sometimes have that happening with me because my wife is a prophet, and sometimes when we are uh, praying for people, I'll be praying, she might be playing the piano or something, she might then see something on that particular person, and it just takes the, the healing process to another level, something I wouldn't have seen at the particular time. 
So that's where you can be interdependent with each other because we prophesy in part. Uh, we don't have all the spiritual gifts. Someone else in the team might have a particular gift and it just takes things to another level. So team ministry is so important. Okay, so... <clears throat> I believe that God wants strong manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit, okay? Strong manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. And I believe that if you look in Scripture, it highlighted how there were times when God's power to heal was present. And I believe it's talking uh, partly about the gifts of the Spirit in operation, okay? And uh, there are occasions when this happened more so than other times. In Luke chapter 5, uh, verses 16 to 17, I'm reading in the BSB, uh, the Berean Study Bible. Yet he frequently withdrew to the wilderness to pray. One day Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. People had come from Jerusalem and from every village of Galilee and Judea. And what does it say? It says, and the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. The power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. And we see this in various meetings. There are times when we will have a word that there's going to be a strong healing anointing today. There's going to be a strong healing anointing today. Okay? It just takes things to another level. So let's function in these gifts and let's stir up the gifts. And let's remember that uh, they also operate in combos, these, these particular gifts. And I think it's so powerful. The third method I want to highlight is where you release a word over the recipient, over the person who is going to be receiving healing. And it can either be the minister who's doing that, or it can actually be you ministering to yourself. But the word has power to heal. Reverend uh, Goldfeder states this, uh, during World War I, for example, U.S. soldiers found themselves engaged in three of the bloodiest battles ever known to mankind, and they suffered 90% casualties in those conflicts. Uh, one brigade during the Great War was the 91st Brigade. Their belief in the 91st Psalm brought many miracles to the men of the 91st Brigade. Each soldier in this brigade would recite the 91st Psalm daily before going into battle. The result? No soldier in that brigade ever suffered a combat-related death. Isn't that powerful? What do we mean when we say Psalm 91? Let me just read the first three verses of Psalm 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the foulest snare and from the deadly pestilence. That's powerful. When you get the word into your spirit, it's amazing what happens. Remember, when we're talking about divine healing, it starts in your spirit. That's why the Bible says, I pray that you may prosper as your soul prospers. Okay, God begins from the inside out, the inside out. And that's why sometimes you can find someone saying, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. Then you look at the symptoms on the outside and you can't see any healing. But after a few days, what happens? Right? They knew it in their spirit and the healing had started in their spirit, man. And then it manifested on the outside. And this is so true. And sometimes you see doctors can come. It happened to a particular lady. She was struggling with, uh, I think it was some kind of double pneumonia back in the day before they had all these fancy medicines for, for pneumonia. And um, 
the doctor had literally given her no more than a day to live. He had literally said she won't last beyond midnight. Okay? And uh, what happened was she called people to pray. The church began to pray more and more and more. And she was just like, I know, I'm healed. I'm healed. I know it. Doctor comes back. Doctor's like, you know what? Your lungs are still collapsed. Um, you know, I don't see healing here. Sometimes people um, start feeling better feeling like they're feeling better before they die. So he was still convinced she was going to die. But then after three days, she was fine. She was fine. So healing starts in your inner person. And that's where you want the word of God to get in to your inner person. Okay. So releasing the word can be done by either the minister or the person needing the healing. And it's so powerful when the person needing the healing knows how to feed themselves with the word of God. Because you see, that's how you keep your healing. Because there are times you're prayed for and um, you feel healed and you are healed. And then a few days later, the symptoms come back. If you don't have the word in you, then you will face problems. You'll face challenges. You begin to doubt. Okay. Now, when the sick person knows the promises of God, it helps them to keep their healing. And that's why I always say we don't want to separate deliverance from discipleship. We want to disciple people so that they understand that uh, healing is their birthright. Okay. Healing is their birthright if they're born again believer. It's important to get the word into your spirit. God is spirit and divine healing begins in the spirit. Okay. And then manifests into the physical realm. And it's important to understand that. You see, there are different ways of praying for people. So yes, um, medical science is awesome. And uh, sometimes you can pray for someone and it can accelerate the work of the medicine. All right. See, your body naturally heals itself. In many, many parts of your body, naturally, uh, God has put in a mechanism where you heal yourself. Then you take medicine and that might speed up the process. And then there are times when you can pray uh, so that it accelerates that process even more. However, when we're speaking about divine healing, we're talking about when God touches your inner person, makes you whole from the inside out. And uh, that's also very important. Okay, so uh, 3 John chapter 2 says, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Okay, that's what we're speaking of. In the book of Psalms 107 verse 20, it says, He sent out his word, and what did the word do? And healed them. He rescued them from the grave. How did he do that? Through his word through his word. And what's exciting is it shows that there's no distance in the spirit. There's no distance in the spirit. That's why someone can be thousands of kilometers away from you and you can declare a word, you can decree a word and they can experience healing. Happened very recently where there was someone who was struggling with a particular ailment and this person is literally you know, about 800 kilometers from where we are based. I stood with the family. I said, we're going to rebuke this thing. And uh, literally a number of hours later, we got feedback that she was completely healed. She was fine now. A week later, still fine. And the point I'm making is it can happen from a distance. Why? It's the word that's being released. Look at these powerful scriptures. Proverbs 3 verses 7 to 8 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. How do you fear the Lord? Well, fear his word, revere his word. And what's the result of that? It brings health to your body and nourishment to your bones. 
Proverbs 4, verse 22, this is more specific, speaking about words. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. What will those words do? It says, do not let them out of your sight. Why? Keep them within your heart, for they are life. These are words, eh? They are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Health to all your flesh, some translations say. Health to all flesh. So words bring life. Now, what about God's words? They bring life. They bring healing. Mastering the art of using God's word as your medicine is a key to walking in sustained divine health. Let me say that again. Mastering the art of using God's word as your medicine is a key to walking in sustained divine health. I want to encourage you, play God's word continuously in your home. Play it, just like you play music. Play God's word continuously in your home. Keep the word in you. Keep speaking it. Keep hearing it. Okay? It brings about healing. You see, the key is knowing how to get God's word into your spirit through declaration and biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is not the same as um, Eastern meditation. With Eastern meditation, people blank out their minds. With biblical meditation, what are you doing? You're uttering and you're muttering the word of God. You're uttering and you're muttering the word of God. Okay? You're declaring it. You're reflecting on it. Right? You're praying it. And I'm telling you, the results are so, so powerful. All right. Um, now, the passage below shows that healing can happen from a distance if the word is released and if faith is present. It's the word of faith. Okay. It's the word of faith. It's, uh, it's not a case of, let me just say this word or these words as a secret formula. No, it's, it's a word that is released with faith. In Matthew 8, verses 5 through to 13, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? He was wanting to partner with this guy, right? The centurion replied. Now, look at this. Jesus is operating on his default. Hey, what I do when someone needs to be healed, I go there. I go there physically, right? That's what Jesus was used to. But the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word. Just say the word. And my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority. With soldiers under me, I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. He was amazed and said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. So it's a sign of faith when you can step out and you know that if I just decree this, it will take place. Okay. Um, I say, to the, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into, into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. So Jesus declared the word, but it was a word mixed with faith. There was Jesus's faith and there was also the centurion's faith. You see, God works with faith. 
Sometimes if, you, if, if the person you're praying for is low in terms of faith, you can say, it's okay, I've got faith for this. You know, there are times when someone is so sick, they can't even pray for themselves. Uh, they don't know what's going on. They're not even that conscious. But you can come with your faith and um, it's amazing what ends up taking place. So here we see that the centurion had this great faith on behalf of his servant. The fourth method I want to talk about is where you command an action in the name of Jesus. You command an action in the name of Jesus. What I find interesting is when we study the New Testament, it's not very often where people would just intercede for the sick. All right. Um, you would find them literally giving an instruction and commanding a new action literally saying to them, do something that you couldn't do before. And they would tell them what to do very often. In Acts chapter 3, verses 6 to 7, then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. This man was asking for, um, for, for gifts, for financial gifts, right? Silver or gold, do, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. It's important to know what you have. Saints, it's important to know what you carry. It's important to know that you're a glory dispenser. It's important to know that there's power that is on the inside of you and to function in it. He says, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. He just gave him an instruction. In the name of Jesus, start to do this. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Please note, Peter didn't start interceding. He didn't start saying, Lord, please, if it's your will, can you please heal this particular person? He just commanded him in the name of Jesus to start doing a particular thing. And we see this almost as a pattern in scripture where um, this is how healing would take place. So you can only do this when you know what you carry. Peter knew what he carried. He knew what he carried and he valued it more than silver and gold. He wasn't like, oh, I don't have any silver and gold. I wish I had more silver and gold. He didn't say that. He valued what he carried. You see, Peter would have seen Jesus healing people in this manner many times. He would have seen Jesus doing this. That was his role, that, that was his role model. Jesus was his role model. And so he could walk in that particular dimension. I think it's so powerful. In John chapter 5, verses 7 through to 9, it says here, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Can you see that happening again? An instruction is being given, a call to action. And I want to encourage you to do that as God leads you to do that when you are healing the sick. So powerful. The fifth one I want to talk about in terms of methods is where you rebuke the relevant spirit. You rebuke the relevant spirit. Now, I've mentioned this before in this series that um, a lot of times there is a demonic spirit that is attached to a sickness, okay, that is linked to a condition that someone is in. And it's important to be able to rebuke that spirit, right? And you saw in the scripture earlier on where Jesus says, this is what believers will do. They will cast out demons, and so we are called to do that. And you don't have to be in the fivefold ministry to be able to do that. You just have to be a believer. So in Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through to 13, on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there 
who have been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. Now, that's a long time. So the spirit was responsible for crippling her. She had been crippled by a spirit. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Now, I find it very interesting. He made a declaration, right? He made a declaration, literally freeing her, literally declaring that this spirit uh, will not touch you again, right? Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened and praised God. So we see here that Jesus addresses the spirit, okay, and, uh, and says, woman, you're loose, right? You're loose. And, and then afterwards, uh, so he rebukes the spirit, but then afterwards still lays hands on her, right, to correct what the spirit had um, messed up in her life. And I think that's an amazing example of uh, deliverance taking place and healing also. And so we need to be able to walk in this dimension and God has given us the ability to do so. Right Now, often you know that you're dealing with a spirit through the gift of discerning of spirits. And that's why uh, I shared with you the importance of using the spiritual gifts when it comes to healing the sick. So sometimes you can literally just discern. You can literally just, you, you literally just know, right? By a gift God has given you that, you know what, I'm dealing with a spirit here. Sometimes you are so used to certain types of spirits and based on experience of praying for different people, you can almost smell the spirit, okay? There's a sense you have about that particular spirit. You know, my wife and I, sometimes we, if we walk into a particular bookshop and we're looking at certain books and so on, sometimes we walk into a bookshop and we talk about this cobwebby feeling that we have. And what we're basically saying is there's this presence. And it happens often if you go into bookshops, into bookshops where there, there are a lot of new age new age books, you know, that are present there uh, with a lot of um, uh, doctrines that are full of demons, basically. The Bible talks about how they're doctrines of devils, okay, demonically inspired theories. And sometimes we walk into these places, you know, um, you go to certain environments. I know sometimes I can be in a bookshop, I'm looking for a particular book, and then I open a book and I suddenly have this piercing headache. Then I have to close it and then the headache goes, okay? Um, sometimes that happens. Sometimes when I interact with certain people, okay, that will happen. It happens when people um, have been practicing certain things or involved in certain false religions, etc. Okay, so that's discerning of spirits where you can pick up that there's a demon um, involved here. There are other times where based on experience, you actually know that this type of sickness is often linked to a demonic spirit. And you're like, you know what? Through, sometimes it's even through trial and error where you will just pray, rebuking a particular spirit, all right? Um, there are other times where you just know from experience certain things. For example, often when people say, I went to the doctor because I was feeling this pain, but the doctor said he couldn't see anything. She couldn't see anything, right? There's nothing wrong with me. There are times when these demons even hide. You go to the doctor thinking you're sick. The doctor doesn't see anything. You start feeling a bit better, but then the following day you're feeling sick again, okay? Uh, sometimes the pain moves and you can't explain it. All right. It's like, oh, it was one thing yesterday. Now it's something else today. And often when that kind of thing happens, it's likely that you might be dealing with a spirit of infirmity, a spirit of infirmity that doesn't actually want to be rebuked. So it begins to play hide and seek with you. OK, um, in Mark chapter nine, verse 25, it says when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you. Come out of him and never enter him again. 
So this is important. We don't want that spirit to return, all right? So that's how we pray. That's how we rebuke. And uh, it's interesting because this person was deaf and dumb, and there was a demonic spirit associated with this. And Jesus discerned that, and he rebuked it. Very important, okay? The sixth one I want to talk about, we're talking about methods when it comes to healing the sick, is anointing with oil. Anointing with oil. Now, in Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through to 13, calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Uh, wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Uh, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if um, any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So he gave them various instructions. But it's interesting because in verse 12, it says this. They went out and preached that people should repent. Verse 13, they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. All right. So that was one of the ways of healing the sick. Now, I believe that uh, when you'd anoint people with oil, it was a point of contact for faith. Right. There was that practice. People would have been familiar with what took place uh, in the Old Testament, for example. Right. The holy anointing uh, oil, it formed an integral part of the ordination of the priesthood. OK, so it was a sign of consecration. Right. Um, and um, they would use this when it came to the articles of the tabernacle and uh, subsequent temples in uh, in Jerusalem. All right. The. The primary purpose of the anointing with the ho this holy anointing oil was really to sanctify, to set apart uh, an anointed person or anointed object. Okay, um, and so this was symbolic. So the power isn't in the oil, but it's a it's the meaning, the symbolic meaning of it. And it didn't happen every time like this, right? Many times Jesus would just lay hands on the sick and they would recover. But it seemed like there was this practice that would take place, right? I know of two places in the New Testament where it's mentioned. It's mentioned here. And then, of course, it's also mentioned in James chapter 5, verse 14. It says, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord, right? So it's a, it's a sign of consecration. It's a sign saying you're set apart for the Lord. And it's a sign of the anointing, I believe, of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's, it, it, there isn't a lot of mention of it in terms of New Testament practice, but we knew that it was something that would take place. So I wouldn't place it at the same level as the laying on of hands, but it is a healing method. And often it can be so, so powerful when this actually takes place, um, especially as the point of contact for faith and what it actually represents, the anointing with oil. I've got a bottle of oil that I carry around with me in my vehicle, and sometimes I use it on certain occasions, um, other times I don't, all right? Uh, it's so important that we help people to not end up having faith in objects or faith in the oil, but really faith in God, who's the healer, all right? Christ, who's the healer. The seventh method I want to talk about and I've been touching on it a little bit, is where you use points of contact for faith. Using points of contact for faith. You see, there are times when someone is being healed, um, it, it helps 
to have a point of contact for faith, okay? This helps them to focus with expectation, right? To, to, to receive from heaven, knowing that when this happens, I will be healed, okay? Uh, let me give you an example of this. Because you don't want it to be the same point of contact for faith all the time. You know, some people end up becoming the church of the, right? Because they always use the same point of contact for faith. So I remember some years ago, there was a particular guy. It was on a university campus and he had been involved in some kind of, um, it was like a vehicle accident, but I think it was a type of carjacking. And he had been shot. Um, I'm just trying to remember the facts clearly so I get it right. I think he was shot in his, in his leg, one of his legs. And he came on crutches uh, to the service. And he was one of the leaders in that particular church. And I remember his name was Joel. And I remember uh, calling Joel up. And I said to him, Joel, you know what? Uh, God is going to heal you tonight. When you pass that point, I just want you to begin to walk, but when you pass that particular point, okay, as you are walking, the Holy Spirit is going to touch you and you'll be healed. That became a point of contact for his faith. And lo and behold, as he passed that particular place, God touched him supernaturally to restore him. Okay, that's an example of uh, using a point of contact for faith, right? Um, and you see Jesus doing this quite a lot in his ministry. For example, uh, in um, John chapter 9, verse 7, it says, Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. And just before that, Jesus had basically created a mixture of sand and spittle, right? And uh, he put this in the person's eyes and says, go and wash it out, right? That's a point of contact for faith. Right? He doesn't do that all the time. It's not like Jesus' ministry became the spittle and sand ministry. All right? And this is the mistake a lot of people make. All right? They end up building around a particular practice. In a similar way, you see this when Elisha was used by God to bring healing to Naaman. Right? He, uh, what was, the, what was the, the practice there? Go and wash in the Jordan. Go and wash and see what happens. So it's important to understand this. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 10, it says, Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Point of contact for faith, right? The key is to then obey that, right? Remember how uh, Naaman was resisting. You know, what about all the rivers where I come from? What about those, right? In the case of the woman with the issue of blood, she was the one who determined what the point of contact could be. Watch this. In Mark chapter 5, verses 25 to 34, it says, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. She's the one who determined the healing method. She's the one who made that the point of contact for her faith. When I do this, then I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around uh, in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you asked, who touched me? 
But Jesus kept looking around uh, to see who had done it. I think he was just interested in the person's faith. That, wow, this person's got faith. They've actually determined how they're going to be healed. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. So very often what happens is faith will often create a point of contact for breakthrough. Faith will often create that focal point for breakthrough. When I do this, when I sow this seed, God will do this in my life. When, I, when he lays hands on me, this will happen, right? You're creating a point of contact for your faith. And he says, go in peace and be freed from your suffering. He says what? Your faith has healed you. Point of contact for faith. So I want to encourage you with that. Don't be shy about it. Do those kinds of things if it's going to help to release and to activate your faith. But just don't uh, begin to uh, create a memorial around the method. This is where we have to be careful, right? Oh, last week so-and-so was healed using this particular method. So from now onwards, we are the church who always uses this as a point of contact for faith. No, change it up. And we see Jesus changing it up so often. The eighth method I want to talk to you about is transfer of anointing onto material. Onto material. In Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through to 12, it says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Well, what happened? It had to be things that had touched Paul. So there was a transfer of anointing that was taking place through that material, through that particular material. Okay, so be careful not to glorify the object or to see it as the source of power. Often it's just a practical conduit where your hands cannot reach. Okay, in a sense, the anointing can be tangible like electricity. So it passes through certain conduits. And there are times where you can't necessarily physically be there. You know, sometimes people will come to church and they'll say, oh, my brother is at home, he's sick, he's in bed, he couldn't physically come, right? If I can't physically go and lay hands on him, I could also say, hey, let's pray over this particular thing. When you go, take this particular cloth that we've prayed over, take it to him, and as you touch him with that cloth, he will be made well. It's the same as me laying hands on that person. All right, that's just an example. It's the transfer of anointing onto material, but you don't build a memor memorial around that particular material. Oh, it has to be my jacket. Oh, it has to be my tie. Oh, it my, it's my belt, you know, the holy belt. Be careful of that. In 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9 through to 14, it says, Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, Where is the God of Elijah? This is Elisha doing this, right? And when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. There was something that remained of the anointing of Elijah that was on that particular mantle. Sometimes it's just a point of contact of faith. So other times there's actually a transfer of anointing via that particular material. All right. 
And then the ninth one is where you operate in the glory dimension. And this is so, so powerful. And this is something we're trusting God to, to really do in our midst, to have more and more of this. In 2 Chronicles chapter 5, I'm going to read from verses 13 through to 14. The trumpeters and musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord. I just want to say that the glory of God, the Hebrew word for it is kabod, kabod, the weight, the heaviness of God, right? The glory of God very often becomes stronger in our midst in an atmosphere of worship, in an atmosphere of praise, okay? So the musicians joined in and began to do that, accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments. The singers raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good, his love endures forever. Now we know that his glory is all of his goodness. And that's what they were singing about. He is good. His love endures forever. And the Bible promises, says that he inhabits the praises of the saints. It says, then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud. This is the cloud, his glory cloud. Okay, his manifest presence. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. So the glory of God was represented by that particular cloud and the priests could not perform their service. Let me tell you something. When the glory of God is so thick in our midst, there's certain things we can't do. God literally takes over and we sometimes are just sitting in the background and observing what God is doing. Don't strive in the flesh. When God takes over in Acts chapter 5 verses 14 through to 16, I want to show you the power of this type of manifestation. It says, as a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Now, I want, to, I want to show you something. When it talks about Peter's shadow, it's not just limited to the natural shadow that we know of, okay? We're talking about the glory of God in their midst around uh, Peter, around his ministry, all right? It says, crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed, one of the things that happens when the glory of God is strong in our midst, we see more miracles and we see a greater variety, I believe, of miracles. Uh, there's a powerful story uh, that is shared by a particular man of God who God uses greatly. Uh, in one of his meetings, they actually saw the glory cloud in one of the sections of that particular auditorium. They actually saw the cloud of God's glory there. And when they were doing the stats afterwards, they realized that in terms of the number of healings that took place at that particular uh, event, they found that Four times as many healings took place in the section of the auditorium where the glory cloud actually was, you see. So often in the glory dimension, there's no need to lay hands. Very often in the glory dimension, there's no need to lay hands. It's, it's like God has taken over. God has just pitched up. And often in that environment of extended worship, extended praise, Often angels are present, assisting with the working of miracles. You see, sometimes when it comes to the working of miracles, angels are present, actually physically doing certain things, okay, there to help with those particular miracles. The glory of God consists of his manifest presence, his power, and his goodness. 
where God just literally pitches up and says, I'm here. And we need to be open to humbling ourselves in his presence. No flesh shall boast in his presence. We need to know what to do in that particular environment. It's something we need to teach on how to, how to host uh, his presence, as it were. Um, someone shares the story of how um, during his preaching days, uh, Brother Kenneth E. Hagan compiled a list of um, every scripture in the Bible about the glory. And uh, when he would read them aloud in a service, the glory would appear like a cloud or a wave in those particular services. And people would fall on the floor under the power of God, right? Without necessarily someone going and laying hands on them. Uh, or they'll just rush to the altar to get saved. That's the glory dimension. And let me just say something. Um, it's, I believe it's very difficult to function in the glory dimension when there's a climate of unbelief and familiarity. And that's why it says when Jesus went to his hometown, he could not do many miracles. He could just lay hands on a few people. He wasn't functioning in the glory dimension then, all right, uh, because of their unbelief and their familiarity. This is Jesus. But remember, he was, he was ministering as a man under the anointing, and he could not do many miracles in that environment because uh, the, the, of the people's unbelief and familiarity. Yet Peter... When he was ministering in this environment, I believe that the glory of God was actually present there. And that's why they said people were just, were just in such belief. They were in a place of great faith and expectation. They were coming from other towns just to experience a miracle, just to see what God was doing. And uh, they would think to themselves, you know what? I just need to pass his shadow and it'll be fine. That's faith. That's faith. That's similar to the centurion saying, no, 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 you don't need to come. You don't need to, you don't need to come to my house to, to heal my servant. Just send the word. Just release the word. It'll be fine. It will happen. And so uh, Ruth Heflin Ward was greatly used in the glory. She's actually got a number of books about the glory of God. She used to say that uh, we must find out what will usher in the glory of God. What are those things that will usher in the glory of God? And then we must do those things more and more. And then we must find out what are those things that hinder the glory of God and we must do them less and less. And as you grow in this uh, experience of um, the glory of God, interpreting meetings, the flow, the river of God and that kind of thing, the Lord will start showing you certain things. For example, I found that when I sing in tongues, it ushers in the glory of God uh, quicker. All right. Uh, it's, it's just one of those things, singing in tongues, not just praying in tongues, but singing in tongues. OK, uh, an environment of extended worship helps also in terms of um, accelerating that manifest, pres manifest presence of God in our meetings. And it's amazing the type of healings that take place. I trust that you've been encouraged today and I want to really strengthen you and say, please go out and ask yourself, Lord, what method do I need to be using on various occasions? Just remember that the standard default, you lay hands on the sick through the prayer of faith, the people recover, okay? Um, we also see another pattern in terms of just giving the instruction, hey, start doing this, start doing that. And you'll see people healed. You'll see people healed. Let's believe God that he'll move in such a powerful way. Um, <clears throat> I want to encourage those of you who aren't yet coming back to our services at the moment, maybe for health reasons, you can, you can partake of this uh, in your home. 
in terms of what we're talking about right now, even as you're listening to these messages, re-watch some of the other messages in this series and encourage yourself in the Lord. I want to encourage uh, you, if you're able to come to our services, please do so because we're seeing a demonstration of God's power. He's doing miracles in our midst as we're putting these things uh, into practice. So uh, I trust that you will walk in God's power at a new level. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the things that you're showing us. We thank you for where you're taking us to. We thank you for these dimensions of faith that we are beginning to grow in. Come and have your way, Lord, and touch every single person that has listened to this message, that they won't just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word, and will step out and do great exploits. Thank you for your word, Lord, that says, those who believe, he who believes, he will do these works and will do even greater. I thank you for that, Lord. We give you all the honor and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.